Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family at Direct at gmail.com, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to Missing Maura Murray. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? Uh, it's been a tough day. Just kidding. I'm doing great. How are you today, Tim? I'm doing great as well. And this is part two of our interview with Ryan Coyalto, who is a Maura Murray community, online community member. And he has done a lot of research on Butch Atwood. And so he kind of comes at us with some Butch Atwood inconsistencies and thoughts. And uh, it's really a pretty compelling conversation. Yes, it's very interesting. And, and again, not so much that we subscribe to uh, the belief that Butch had anything to do with Moore's disappearance, but it was more about hearing his ideas, hearing his theories, and seeing how he was making the connections and responding to them and having him respond to our responses and disagreeing and, and literally saying, well, that's just where my feelings are at, so we're going to move on. And, and you know that he took that with him and he's 
going over those points to further research them on his own, like we are for the points that he had that we don't agree with. Uh, and so it wasn't so much about like, hey, we think Butch did it or we don't think Butch did it. It was the conversation, I think, that was the most important part for me to take from this. Absolutely. And I hope you enjoy it. And so thank you very much for listening, everybody. Follow us on Twitter at Maura Murray Doc. Have you cross-referenced uh, Faith's call with the time um, that uh, that that Butch made his call? Uh, m- meaning, she she ha- she hangs up. Like, how long after her her call ends do you think the police arrived? And how how does that cross-reference with when Butch uh, makes his call at at seven forty-three? Yeah. Okay. That's great. So Faith um, calls at seven twenty-seven, and then if Butch is accurate, then police wouldn't have showed up. It's almost 20 minutes, basically, let's say 727 to uh, 7.47 would be 20 minus one. So yeah, it's like 19 minutes. Um, and that doesn't make a lot of sense, calling the cops and they come 19 minutes later. It also doesn't make sense with what they said. But she said, she called the cops, they're there a few minutes later. Police's official time on scene was 7.46. So that's 16 plus one, two, three. So yeah. 19 minutes after Faith's call, which I think is way too long. And so I think that that's another reason to suspect that um, they've kind of just adjusted their time on scene to fit what makes sense with Butch's call because they don't have any reason to believe Butch is malicious. Um, but this is where the, the bullshit by Butch throws the whole thing off. So um, so Faith calls at 727, and I argue that uh, Cecil shows up at 735, which is confirmed by Witness A. Are you saying that Butch calls uh, 911 because he feels like like that's part of the plan? Like he actually does call 911. No, because I think he's sitting on the bus with Mora and Cecil's at Westman's and he's saying, I can't find the girl anywhere. She's not here. And then Cecil probably says, I'm going to go check with the bus driver. And then it's when Butch says, I got to get an excuse for this right now because this doesn't look good if they're going to come. But if he gets in and he gets just a very simple call out, hey, reporting a crash on the corner, damage to the car, <laughs> eggs are out, hit a pine tree, and then he hangs up. No malice in that. That's totally totally fine. He's just doing his duty as a citizen reporting a crash on the corner. Then it's in the logs and then Butch has got an excuse. And I think Maura drove it. She drove what? She drove the, she drove the, um, the spin the... in the call. Okay. So between Butch and Maura, when Butch said, I got to go call it in because otherwise they're going to come look for you here and I'm not going to have a good excuse, but at least now I can say I called 911. Butch and Maura says, if you're calling 911, just say I hit a pine tree and the airbags came out. Because then she doesn't have to go back for this this car that's a total heat score. She can just get out of there. Okay, how does she get out of there? So just to finish the thought on the cops explaining the police activity is Atwood was probably cheating the time he talked to Maura on the, on the road closer to his 911 call. So if there was any overlap, say Cecil wrote his time on scene at 734 and Westman says he last spoke to Maura at 734, then Cecil would surely feel like he wrote his on-scene time down wrong. Yeah, and so that's why I think that you can't criticize the police for being on scene early if you can still be okay with Butch calling 911, even though the police were already there. Can't have it both ways. Okay, so the biggest thing I think the police are guilty of is not taking the initial police report seriously enough. And then when Karen drove by later, it just didn't look good for them. So if they were to update it after, now it surely looks like they're hiding something. And they'll say, why didn't you just tell us that time in the beginning? But now it's almost helpful that Butch and the police time are like reinforcing themselves now 
the same way that Fred's story and Butch's story are reinforcing themselves. Now, uh, do we want to get into the 23 reasons quickly rattle them off or should I just go right into where I think that the best place to search would be? Because the 23 reasons will tell you why Butch is definitely lying. And then you can see okay. why I figured out where maybe she went. Yeah, let's let's go through the, those uh, quick first. Yeah. So uh, first one is Butch is the last person to see Mora. It's a very important one. Two is Butch changes the fundamentals of his story. And that's what John Healy talks about. So in Valley View News, February 19th, 2004, he puts her in the car. All I can see is her mouth up, he says, and he shines his flashlight in. Same thing in Caledonian Record, uh, February 20th, 2004. Then in the Christine McDonald interview, February 10th, 2005, approximately February 10th, I couldn't find a pants, um, 2005, um, Butch says she's out of the car. He actually starts the interview after a little bit of kerfuffle with her starting out of the car. Now, again, the kerfuffle, a lot of the community will be like, well, that's just kerfuffle, but you got to write it off again. You're, you're writing off an outlier for Butch Atwood again, right? Um, why did Butch's story change from the first time he stole it? Uh, told it the second story time. I think it's because Faith Westman divulges to media on April 20th, which was after Butch's first statements, April 20th, 2004, um, Faith says that she saw Mora get out of the car and talk to Butch. So once I think that comes out, Butch, you know, when he does a follow-up interview a year later, he kind of is like, I got to keep this conversation out of the car because that's what Faith, with Mora out of the car, because that's what Faith said. And I think that's partly why the doctoring comes in later by Butch. Hold on, hold on. So, so you're saying Faith also saw Mora get out of the car? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, okay. She lets that. She divulges that on April 20th, 2004. She says she saw Mora go up to the bus, and when she saw that, she said uh, she stopped looking because she figured it was okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's all. So okay. number three, Butch changes his story uh, again. So in April 30th, 2004. He says, and we all know this as a Butch quote, that she didn't appear intoxicated, just shook up. But in uh, May 2004, in the Seventeen magazine that we talk about a lot, um, Butch uh, says she's intoxicated and mumbling. And so if you want to write that off again, you have to assume that that journalist fabricated that or put it in there and it shouldn't have been or something. You basically have to write off another outlier. Another thing that happens in that article, and it's still part of three, is Butch offers to call 911 or AAA instead. And to me, that's far more reasonable than calling 911. And so I just think that he's just slowly fixing up his story so it doesn't look like crap anymore. And that's why he says, you know, later on, I offered to call AAA because that's normal. Like she didn't want the cops called. She uh, was not hurt. There's no reason she wanted AAA. Like, why would you go in and call the cops on her right away? I don't buy it. So when he comes in and says he's going to call AAA, of course, because it seems more reasonable. Number four, Butch failed the lie detector test. There's someone, I mean, everyone says lie detectors aren't that good, blah, blah, blah. I understand that. But police departments still use them often, frequently, for a reason. And the American Polygraph Association puts their own success at 90%. Critics put it at 70%. Still some pretty good numbers for polygraphs. And you'll notice spinsters in the community say, oh, that polygraph was inconclusive. The polygraph was not inconclusive. What uh, Barbara actually says, her words in James Renner's book, Renner's book was, quote, he flunked it. And the cop in the room told him it was time for him to come clean, end quote. I, I remember those exact words because I've read it time and time again. So people who say it was inconclusive, I don't buy that. I think that she slipped up and he actually flunked it and the cops were worried about it. She says that he took an, another one later, but I think that that's probably, that could have happened or it could not have. He could have had time to train for it. And also um, that could just be how the lawyer told the cops 
look, you can't move on my guy over a polygraph, right? Now there, there's other there's other uh, statements where it says that he showed signs of deception. Is that the same as failing? Is that the same as flunking? Um, I have no idea how polygraphs work. I don't want to yeah. pretend. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm using I'm, failing because that's that's actually Barbara's words. So Barbara's right. initial statement wasn't he inconclusive it. <laughs> it right. was he flunked it, and that has a very different meaning than inconclusive. And that's a Twitter argument I got into where it's like, dude, you can't inconclusive a math test. You can fail your math test. You can flunk your math test. Like that's, you're using, and you know probably who I'm thinking of, is using a very specific word that has a different meaning than flunk to try and characterize Atwood's polygraph test. I don't agree with that. Again, it's the wrong words. Words are important. They mean things. Um, so number five, the bloodhound dogs lead us to the end of Atwood's driveway. I mean, that one just needs no explanation. I think that's when Mora was running backwards, realized her last opportunity to get on the bus to, to beat Cecil, who was coming around the corner. So um, Butch has the means. He's got the big old bus. He's, he's, he's right there. Um, Mora has motive to accept help if we accept uh, Skarinza's uh, conclusion that she was drinking. So eight, Butch has the opportunity. He's there, right place at the right time. Nine, I think Butch creates an alibi. Maybe you don't want to count that one by calling 911. Um, 10, Butch is misleading regarding the police dogs. So I found it really comical in the Christine McDonald interview when he says, those dogs smelled nothing but squirrels. Um, so I don't believe police dogs trap the scent of squirrels. Uh, they're super adept professionals. And so I think, again, Butch is just diverting attention with that, that statement. He slips it in there, they're smelling nothing but squirrels. And people are like, yeah, probably. No, but they're police dogs, <laughs> to cry out loud. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, people, the amount of times you give this guy the benefit of the doubt is incredible. So uh, Butch insisted that Mora wasn't bleeding because I think everything Atwood says is a lie. I bet she was bleeding. And I think that that kind of fits with what Fred said. There was um, supposedly some red liquid outside the car. Not going to go too far down that road. Um, Butch Atwood asks a very specific question and no other questions. So in the Christine McDonald year interview, nearly a year after it happened, Butch on the, on the, uh, like the journalist's way out of the room, Butch says, what about the phone call to her boyfriend? And like the, the interview that Butch didn't even want to give and only gave because of his mom. And when he was done, didn't have to answer any more questions, Butch asks that question. And so that's really important to me because I think that that's a slip by Butch. I think it's um, maybe not information Butch is supposed to have. Um, and it's something he really cares about. So it shows he's following the case or it shows him kind of injecting himself to see what the cops know about the call to the boyfriend. We, in our answers from the attorney general's office in New Hampshire, they, they said that they did confirm that the call came from the Red Cross. That is their very words. Yes, we did confirm that that phone call came from the Red Cross. Is there any chance that the attorney general would just repeat what the lead detective on the case said? I, I think they work together to come to these answers, so I don't think they would get that one wrong and then have sent it to us. Fair enough. I think it's a, I, I just will use it, keep it as a, a weird question by Butch, that's all. Okay. Um, so Butch was a major hoarder, is number 13. And this is really important to me because uh, he moves to Florida 18 months after the incident. And so there's something about the psychology of hoarders that um, it's really hard to make decisions. And so to move all that stuff would have been a really difficult thing to do. And where, where where was it confirmed that he was a major hoarder? Because I've heard that too. I just want to... 
confirm that. There is, uh, I don't want to misquote Renner's book if it's not in there. Um, I think it is though when Healy's talking about Atwood and then there's a, a Q&A on Reddit about different questions from Renner's book and it talks about Butch being a major hoarder and the fact that family uh, of Atwoods couldn't even walk through the house sometimes. So I did provide the link to the Reddit conversation that seemingly someone in an authority position <laughs> had confirmed that Butch is a hoarder. Again, not an investigator myself, um, but well, I should say I have confirmed it with locals. Uh, he was a hoarder. And also the locals told me that he, he had five giant garbage bins on his lawn and he dumped basically all the contents of his house into them in a matter of three days without having a for sale sign at the end of his driveway. The for sale sign happened through the newspaper only. Um, so the neighbors didn't really know. So after about three days of dumping all the contents of his house, he skipped to Florida leaving a massive bill with the garbage man. And uh, Renner confirms that, Keeley confirms that, and uh, the garbage man actually went to Florida to try and find Butch after, Butch never came back. So his last move before leaving Haverhill was leaving the locals with a giant uh, giant bill for moving all of him and his wife's stuff uh, into the trash. 14, Butch meets Fred's criteria for what happened to Maura. She just got picked up by a local. Uh, 15, Butch goes to a secondary location immediately after the incident. Um, 16, the Atwoods provide spin instead of just stating facts. So um, <laughs> the Caledonian record, Butch explains why Mora would have been scared with him because he's not clean cut. Uh, I just think that's brutal. Um, in the Caledonian record, February 27th, so that first one was February 20th for people who want to look it up. February 27th, um, Butch talks about his extensive background checks that bus drivers get. That's just a normal thing to add into conversations. Um, so then the Atwoods, uh, or Mrs. Atwood talks uh, to the Patriot Ledger on February 28th, um, saying Butch is a big man and she'd be afraid of him at night, quoting his mustache. And so they've got kind of the same narrative that they're playing in different wording to all the newspapers, in my opinion. They're kind of making it seem like Butch is just someone Maura would never get in with, like as if she's not avoiding the police and she's going on a date, right? Like. She's avoiding the police. She'll get in with whoever's going to let her avoid the police. It's just, uh, I don't know. You don't wait for someone more attractive to avoid the police with. Um, anyways, 17, statistics. So let's analyze, analyze Butch's statement that three or four cars drove by in seven to nine minutes. <laughs> uh, this is after 7.30, not rush hour traffic. Um, so uh, Healy, Detective Healy, spends a night on the corner from seven to eight. He counts eight cars. So for the whole hour. So Butch would have had half that amount drive by in nine minutes. <laughs> so Butch allows himself a few extra cars, I'd say, especially since Faith and Tim say no cars drove by. I mean, we know that's wrong because Karen drove by, but they also admit that they don't spend the whole evening at the window. They're back and forth a lot. And so Butch says four cars drove by. So he could see the scene in the road, but he couldn't see the blue lights. <laughs> Uh, it, right. So another weird one, right? So he's just adding cars in there. Okay. I just want to point out again, uh, we did, we did put this, uh, drone video on, uh, on our social media today and you can count four, dr four vehicles in the 32nd, uh, second video. Um, one like 18 wheeler, a pickup truck, a regular car. Um, so I, I three or four vehicles in that 30 seconds. And, but, but I will say it was, it was midday in the summer. Okay. As well. uh, that was what I was going to ask if it was at seven at night on February fair though. Yeah. Four cars. Yeah. 
I mean, again, I feel like you have to give that one to Butch, the three or four course to apply in seven to nine minutes. If you, if you add that and average it out, that would mean that 22 cars pass by an hour. It's a pretty busy corner. I think that sounds right. Here's here's a theory on that. Maybe maybe three or four cars did pass by because they came upon the the crash scene and maybe they were held up by the police there. So it it created a little bit of a backup. And and three or four cars maybe were just waiting for one of the EMT, maybe Dick Guy was there and he, you know, was was directing traffic and and wanted to make sure that every you know everything was clear and then he let the cars go totally fair and i i think it's which injecting more plausible deniability for himself but um i i definitely think that you guys are right to to um uh, call me on that now to get into um based on this information if we do assume that everything atwood says is a lie we could have some indication on where a potential search for more could take place and there's reasons for that too. And I'll get to those now. So Butch drives more um, east down Bradley Road, I think. And I think that because Cecil went west and I don't think they would have went the same way. And Butch says he goes to Mountain Lakes and he goes to French Pond and they're both west. And so I think that that's just Butch sending us uh, left when we're going right. So I think that Butch, when Cecil goes west, Butch goes east down Bradley Hill Road which turns into or becomes 16. So at the intersection of 16 and 112, he waits there until there's no traffic and lets Mora out. And I think that that's an easy place to let someone off because you can outside of the bus. Uh, you can also wait at the intersection until to make sure there's nobody going by and then you let her off. Um, it's also the only place he could do a loop where he could come back from the north. And if there's cops there, he could say he was out west, right? because he's just got to turn left on 12 after dropping her off, take the loop back to his house. So um, if he doesn't take use this one here, then he's got to find a place to turn his bus down on Lost River Road, or, or turn his bus around on Lost River Road. And so I don't think he would do that because that's just, I mean, he's local, he knows the area, he knows the prime spot to drop her off. And she all he's got to do is get her out of the area so she doesn't get a DUI, right? Or get in trouble from the police. I think that's the only intention here. No malice, no malicious. Um, you know, it, there is a tandem driver. It's just not a planned one. It's an opportunistic one um, that Mora finds the opportunity in. Um, so he would then inform Mora that uh, if she can get five and a half miles up to Beaver Pond, she'll have cell service. Uh, if he can't drop her in the parking lot there, or he can't drop her in the parking lot there because he'll risk being seen in the parking lot. First of all, he doesn't know who's in the parking lot and also if there's cameras. So if he drives her, 5.1 miles um, to this spot uh, at the corner of 112 and 116, he would drop her off roughly at 8.05 p.m. So if, assuming Mara can run 10 minute miles, um, she could probably run faster, but uh, assuming that, that would put her half a mile up the road at 8.10, which puts her in the exact place and spot for the Rick Forcier sighting. And so the Rick Forcier sighting notably totally freaks Atwood out. And the reason is because Atwood knows that Rick saw Mora. So Rick describes Mora as we'd expect to see her with her hair up. So Forcier's description matches Faith Westman's because it's consistent with Mora. It's the outlier, Butch, who has Mora's hair down. So I think that Rick is right. And I think he sees Mora actually at 5.6 miles uh, from the accident site because that's right there where the shoulder on the right side, which is the side she would have got off the bus on, it turns into, it gets really small. It's only about a foot and a half wide and it becomes a guardrail at 5.6 miles. 
And so I think that she would have crossed the road to continue going east against traffic on the other side of the road at 5.6 miles right where Rick Forsyth thought he saw her. So now I think that, and this is where maybe we'll go a little bit into a different, different place with our theories, is I think that because I think that Mora was running the show and Butch was just taking orders and trying to be helpful because I think he was telling, you know, try and uh, show her, you know, how to get out of this situation. So he would have told her, or she would have wanted to know, where's the nearest cell service? Because that's how she can sort herself, right? It, she's got no resources except for her cell phone and her ability to run. So Butch would have told her, Beaver Pond is where cell service starts. It's about five and a half miles up the road. And Mora would not have been scared of that. Um, so it's five points, it's, uh, excuse me, it's 5.5 miles to Beaver Pond. And so if Mora was running a little slower than 10 miles now, she probably would have reached Beaver Pond at about 8.45. And I think that the search, if there was a search, should be just on either side of the highway between rocks and under bridges from Beaver Pond to North Woodstock. Okay, now that's that's fair. I mean, that that's an interesting area. I know uh, there's Greg Floyd who lives over near that where Forcier apparently had that sighting, allegedly had that sighting um, of someone lane. we don't know if it was Mora or not, but sorry, what was that, Lance? Oh, Hummingbird Lane. Right, right, that that whole area. Yeah, there's some interest in that area for sure. Why Why would he go down uh, Bradley Hill and, and go this roundabout way when he could have taken the left and, and just gone to um gone gone into the cell phone service that way because i don't think he took one i don't think he went that way like up right because uh he he says in the interviews that he took the back roads and i think that that's because he cecil would be looking at that and saying what do you mean like you didn't take the highway you took bradley hill right like so butch has got to say he took a back road because cecil's going to cross check that um, but then he said, then I went and searched the French pond. And so I think that this is the back road he took, because otherwise he's taking swift water with Cecil. And he says the back road because Cecil knows he took the back road. And he says French pond because he can get there from the north without having to cross by his house again. And and yeah. Okay, so I, uh, my question, or I'm trying to wrap my head around this part. In the, in the time that, that he said that he was going to go look for her, that him and Cecil had that conversation, he made that decision that he has to go down back roads because he thought that later on he'll say that that he went down back roads. Like my, my question is why wouldn't he just go why wouldn't he just take a left and 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 go a more direct route to cell phone service? Because I think that he was just dropping Mora off and I don't think he wanted to drop her off on the main highway. I think he wanted to drop her off right here and then he could take the main highway back and i'm just using the back road because he says specifically i went the back roads for 15 minutes and that's a perfect loop to drop on her off here and come back and then to go to french pond which he could take any road to french pond but i think because he says french pond this is me thinking that the atwoods are actually just caring people and butch is like more of a he's like a lenny character who could like hug you to death right like like that and not realize it and so Barb probably is like, I can't believe you let that girl out in the cold with no clothes or anything. Go back and see if you can bring her a sweater or something at least. So I think that's why it's a guilty conscious thing that Butch goes back to the French pond, which is really the beaver pond. He goes to see if she's still around. And that comes up again in, in uh, Renner's interview with Barbara Atwood. Is Barbara says, it's almost like clearing your conscience to me. She says, we don't know, like Butch went back out that night to go look for her, but never found her, you know. It's like she's it's like she's clearing her conscience because she needs to because I 
I don't know why she would add that in. The other thing that Barbara says, which I find interesting is she says, we think, I think she was meeting up someone up there. And so to me, that feels like Barbara is not describing down here, local, like past her house, like Haverhill, but she's describing up there in the mountains, which is literally a 1000 increase in elevation towards the mountains. Right. Uh, one more question on this Beaver Pond thing. So the intent was to drop her off so that she could get to Beaver Pond. Is that what you're saying? But if he had taken, if he had simply taken that left out of his driveway, Beaver Pond is on the way. He could have just simply driven her there. Um, I think you might be misinterpreting what the drive there looks like. This, this driveway comes right out of his driveway. He doesn't even have to go left. He can go straight and then it stops here. Like this is just a, it's a shortened version of a long road. And then it's a loop that goes back to his house. So it is on the way. The stop happens here. Butch is going left back home and Moore is going right to Beaver Pond. No. I, oh, no. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, know the, I know that. Um, and I've, I've also driven both of those. And it's just a much more direct way to just stay on 112, especially in the winter. I think that he took this back road because he had to, he had to be consistent with what Cecil saw that night. So when Butch is reiterating where he went, he says 15 minutes in the back roads and then French Pond. I think it's because Cecil and Butch left at the same time and Cecil saw Butch go straight down Bradley Hill Road. And so he could have taken the highway both ways. He could have taken the highway to here and then he could have taken the highway back, but he'd have to turn around. So maybe he went Bradley Hill to 112 back or maybe he went 112 and then dropped her off there and took 116 or Bradley Hill back. It can be either way. I just, I just argue that Butch wouldn't have wanted to put himself in the position where he had to turn around in a parking lot at Beaver Pond where there could be people. I think that that's why he made it just seem like a regular old bus stop. Like you're at the intersection, looping at home, she's off. She probably would have said, I can run five miles like nothing. But then if she gets there and nobody's answering or there's other problems there, I think that that's when Maura would probably take it on herself to get to Woodstock because the way a runner looks at five miles to Woodstock, they look at it as time. So at 10 minute miles, Maura feels like she could be at Woodstock in just over half an hour. If she, if she was drinking Kahlua, Kahlua is like a concussion cocktail. The three things you can't have if you've got a concussion are alcohol, sugar, caffeine. So she had that with her. Worst thing for a, a concussion. Um, an epidermal hematoma, same thing, blood force trauma to the head. You can pass out initially for a minute, wake up later, pass out again. So basically, um, what I think might have happened is Karen McNamara describes this road to Woodstock being really dark and really bumpy. And so if Moore is hiding in the ditch when cars are passing and then running full tilt on the road when there's no one on the road, which is what I would do, then she could easily sprain or break her ankle. And if she does that and it's that cold, then the blood would go to that spot and, and quickly shut off her, her vitals. So she just kind of tucked herself around a corner just off the highway she would probably very quickly pass. It also gets colder the closer you get to Woodstock because it's a 1,000 uh, foot climb in elevation between Beaver Pond and Woodstock. So she's got more than one thing working against her um, at this point. Yeah, interesting stuff. I uh, I, I got definitely got to listen back to uh, to hear, you know, really kind of fully understand all this stuff. Um, but I appreciate your time and coming on and, and uh, really putting yourself out there with this theory. Um, you know, I, I think I think a lot of it kind of need, like depends on uh, things that happened before, which I think could make people kind of write off 
a, like your conclusion, but I think if you look at everything individually, I think you got you make a lot of good points. Thanks. And and I mean, this is uh, you you may be right, you may be wrong, you may be kind of right, you, you know. And there's just some uh, inconclusive uh, details that just need to be confirmed, which may never be confirmed because Butch is deceased. Uh, but I will say there was a couple moments where it did seem to make some sense. Her being where Rick Forcier says that he thought he saw her makes sense in your theory. Um, and I think that that's also why the first like APB that came out on Mora was so wrong. The family says, like, she's not 5'3", she doesn't have black hair, and it's never down. I think that's Butch just throwing everything off wrong, because he's the witness that talked to Mora that the police referenced. And so I think it's just more evidence of Butch spinning things. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.